Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. glad this morning to welcome each one of you to the Community Adventist Fellowship. Are you glad you're in church today? Yes. We're glad that you're here today. I want to send special greetings to our friends and our supporters across North America, especially to those marvelous people who are supporting us in our work in the Ukraine and Russia and coming soon in Cuba. I'm going to Washington in a few days to engage in discussions concerning the hiring of a vast auditorium downtown Havana. This is going to be the first campaign of its type in the history of this great part of the world. And we thank God for these opportunities. Now today we're going to continue our studies in the book of Daniel. And today we've got to Daniel chapter 10. And Daniel chapter 10 talks about angels. And I want you to notice a text today before you turn to Daniel chapter 10 about angels. Would you please come to Psalm 34 and verse 7. And I hope you have a Bible today because in this church we only guarantee the salvation of those people who bring their Bibles. Psalm 34 and verse, verse 7. When I was a little boy... I went to Sabbath school, and on those occasions we had to learn a memory verse. This was a, a wonderful thing. I don't know why we still don't do it today, but it's one of those good traditions that fell by the wayside. But we had a custom where, do you remember this, Steve? Every person had to learn a memory verse, and you had to stand up in front of the class and recite the memory verse every Sabbath. And so in a year, you would memorize 52 memory verses. And this was a memory verse that I memorized in the King James Version. It said, The angel of the Lord encampeth around about him that fears God and delivereth him. That's how it was in the King James Version. In this modern speech translation, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. When I was a little boy too, I can remember my mother getting for my birthday to increase my spirituality a picture of an angel. And I've seen this picture in many parts of America. It is a picture of a beautiful little boy and girl who are crossing a bridge over a wild torrent of water. Anybody here know the picture? Mm hmm You got it, Steve. Seems to me you've got everything because you're saying yes to everything. <laughs> and standing behind these two little children who are walking over this bridge that has a number of, of gaping holes in it, there is a beautiful angel. 
I believe in angels. Today we're going to talk about the ministry of God's special agents, God's angels. Did you know this, that in Time magazine, just recently, there was a full feature article about angels? And the Discovery Channel recently, when I was watching it, they had a great program on the work of angels. Helen, most Americans believe in angels. Mm -hmm. Just as well they do, <laughs> because we need angels in this part of the world to take care of us. But there is a tremendous interest today in angelology. That is the study of the, the doctrine of angels. And so this, this chapter, Daniel chapter 10, we're going to see today, talks about the ministry of the angels. Uh, it also talks about something else. It describes the conflict between the good and the evil angels. And Daniel 10 has as its theme some good news. The theme of Daniel 10 is this. When things look their worst, God is working his best for the redemption and the salvation of his people. We're going to see this today. When things apparently are coming apart, God is on his throne and God is working for the salvation and the redemption of his people. So here endeth the first lesson. And we will come now to Daniel chapter 10 and verse 1, and I want you to notice it, please. I want you to notice every text today. Let me say this as we look up this text in our Bibles. I believe, now listen carefully to what I'm going to say. I believe that there are some things that are very important and some things are not so important. But I want to tell you this. You cannot be a Christian... You're listening to this? You cannot be a Christian and fail to read the Word of God. It is impossible to be a Christian and not to have a private devotional. You know what I mean by a private devotional? It is when you get aside by yourself and you sit down and you open your heart to God and you open the Bible and you read the Scriptures. If you're having a spiritual problem in your life, and if you're losing the battle, I know the reason. I know the reason. It is because there is too much diversion in your life, and not enough of the Word of God. I cannot get through a day without reading the Word of God. Because I know that I am not strong enough to fight the battle without reading the Word of God. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that is why we say to you in this church, read the word of God, because the word of God will lead you to Christ and lead you to salvation. It will give you strength to carry on. And that is why in our evangelistic campaigns, we have somewhat a unique practice our campaigns are not done in the dark with a lot of pictures. Our campaigns are done under the lights with Bibles passed out. And in Russia and in America and in Australia, we pass out Bibles and get people to read Bibles. And I can tell you the people who read the Bibles are people who get to know God, but the people who cannot and will not are people who fall by the wayside. Therefore, we say to every person, bring your Bible to church. 
and have a daily devotional and read the word of the living God. It is tremendously important. You whom I have baptized know that when I baptized you, I said to, I believe every one of you, I have some advice for you. Read the Bible. Read it every day. Because Jesus, the very Son of God, took time to read the Word. If he took time to read the Word, how much more should we sinful mortals? Daniel 10, verse 1. In the first, third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. This is two years after Daniel 9. Given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Now here the prophet, two years after the great vision of the Messiah in Daniel chapter 9, and the, the vision that says the Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself, that the Messiah would die. Two years after, he is given another vision. And the Bible tells us it is a vision of a great war. Um, this is what the original Hebrew words say. It was because not every translation says this. But this translation, the New International Version, and the best translations say it was a great war. Daniel chapter 10 is the story of the great controversy between the prince of light and the prince of darkness. It is the picture of the cosmic struggle for the souls of men that goes on in heavenly realms. I want to say to every person who's watching today on television, every person here in the Community Adventist Fellowship Church that meets Saturday mornings at 1045 a.m. at 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale, California, and come and join our church when you're here in Southern California. What was I going to say? I was going to say to you folks, if our eyes could be opened in this place, we would see that we were in the presence of the angels of God. Did you know this? What's wrong with you folks today? Hmm? Can I have a little response? Hmm? Don't we know this? The Bible te teaches that the angels of God are all around us. And the Bible also teaches that there are evil angels. I believe today there are good angels in this place and there are evil angels. And the evil angels are trying to get some of you to go to sleep. Hmm. I believe it is so. I believe it is so. I believe that we are in the midst of a cosmic conflict for the souls of men. And I believe that this chapter, Daniel 10, draws back the curtain and shows us what is going on behind the scenes. The Bible says, it was the revelation and it concerned a great war. Verse 2, at that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. What was he mourning for? He mourned for three weeks. He wasn't having a fun day on that occasion. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. Verse 3. I ate no choice food. Now, this is talking he's fasting now. Fasting is not necessarily going without anything. I ate no choice food. No meat or wine touched my lips. And I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. And so, for 21 days, the prophet of God goes on a diet of abstemiousness. And he's mourning and he's praying to God. I wonder why the prophet fasts. Have you ever wondered why God told us on occasions to fast? 
so a person can think better. It has also been said that great eaters and great drinkers are seldom great at anything else. You like that one, Stephen. <laughs> great eaters and great drinkers are seldom great at anything else. Gluttony was declared by the church councils one of the seven deadly sins. It is impossible to communicate with God if you're a glutton and can't control your passions. And so the prophet of God is fasting for three, three weeks, 21 days. He is not abstaining from all food, but from choice foods. I wonder why. Why was the prophet of God fasting for three weeks? Because the news from Jerusalem was bad. This was the third year of the reign of King Cyrus. When King Cyrus took over the kingdom, he issued a decree that the children of Israel could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Do you know what happened? This decree, of course, was predicted. Daniel 9 spoke about the decree that there'd be a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. You know what happened? Here the children of God had been taken from their, from their land of Israel and they had been taken to Babylon. But after 70 years, most of them didn't want to leave. They were contented to stay in Babylon. And so only a little tiny remnant of Jews went back to rebuild the temple of God. And when they got over there, they got into hot water because the Samaritans complained to the government and tried to stop the building of the wall. And there was something else. You can read about this in the prophet Nehemiah, the prophet Ezra. Most of the people when they got over to Jerusalem were more interested in building beautiful homes for themselves than building the kingdom of God. Does it sound familiar? Just a little remnant obeyed the word of God. Most of the people of God were more interested in staying in the land of Babylon. And the ones who came back quickly got into trouble with their enemies. And most of them said, let's build ourselves a palace. And then we will care for the kingdom of God. And so the prophet of God who understood the importance of the rebuilding of the temple... And the city of Jerusalem mourns and he prays for three weeks. Why was he so concerned? Because the building of Jerusalem and the building of the temple were prerequisites for the coming of the Messiah. And so in Jerusalem and in the courts of Cyrus, there is a tremendous battle that goes on. It's an unseen battle. It's a battle between the angels of God and the angels of darkness. Now please notice verses 4 to 6. Bad news has come from Jerusalem. And verses 4 and onwards of Daniel 10. Please notice it in the word. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris. Now here it is. I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen. 
with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, like a diamond. His face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Who is this? Who is this? If you compare this with Revelation chapter 1, it is none other than the Messiah himself. He is seen as a priest wearing a linen robe. But he is dressed as a king in all his glory. Now listen to me. In Daniel chapter 9, the Messiah is cut off. But in Daniel chapter 10, he sees him in all his glory. Would you like to know the answer to bad news from Jerusalem? This man, dressed in linen, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Why did God give the prophet this vision? This is one of the greatest visions in the history of the human race. Why did he give him this vision? Because the prophet had been praying and because the need was so great. And when the need was enormous, God said to Daniel, I will tell you what the solution is. The solution is not the outlook. The solution is the uplook. Look up to God. God is alive. His eyes like a flame of fire. He sees everything. His face like lightning with purity and power. He stands as a king and a priest, and his voice is as the sound of a multitude. He speaks, and it is done. Listen to me. Are you in trouble? Have you got bad news from Jerusalem? Do you despair? Do you wonder if there's any hope? I will tell you, my friend, there is hope in God. Because he is the Lord. Our God is not dead. That is why a Christian should never give up when he can look up. Hear this? A Christian, I think this is quite unique. <laughs> this came upon me like Norm's poems. A Christian should not give up while he can look up. And in Daniel, after the fasting and the praying, there comes to the prophet a vision of the Most High God. It is the Messiah himself. It is Jesus the Lord. He is our hope in the battle with sinister forces. Verse 7. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. That's a bit strange. Daniel is out walking along the banks of the Tigris River, and his attendants are walking at a respectful distance behind him, and there is a vision of the Almighty God, the living triumphant Christ, the Messiah who is to come to this earth, and there he is, enshrined in all his glory, high and lifted up in all his glory. 
and Daniel is the only one who sees it. And the other men only saw confusion. You know why? It is only the trusting child of God who can see Christ in the midst of trouble. The rest become confused and the rest will run away because only the child of God will know that Christ is there. You know, <laughs> let me tell you a little illustration. We have received bitter criticism because of our work in Russia. Hard for people to understand. People have said, but it is not genuine. It is not, have you been there? No, no, I haven't been there. Have you seen anything about it? No, I haven't seen anything about it. Then how do you know? Well, I've heard. I've heard. I've had people, scholars and ministers of religion confront me and say, we do not believe this, what is going on in Russia. You know why? Exactly the same as these men here on the banks of the Tigris River. All they can see is confusion because of their lack of spirituality. But the child of God in the midst of trouble sees Christ. When I went to Russia, in the midst of pandemonium and strife and persecution, I saw him high and lifted up in all his glory. He is alive. He's working Read on. Verse 7, so I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Listen to this. A vision, a true vision of the true Christ does not lead to self-exaltation. Did you hear this? A vision of the true Christ does not lead to self-exaltation and spiritual pride where I think I am better than you. So much of religion today that you see on television is huff and puff. And look at me and see what I am doing. When a person sees the living Christ high and lifted up, he will feel himself to be a sinner, helpless and need, in need of the grace of God. Would you like to know the characteristic of a true child of God? The characteristic of a true child of God is not that he thinks he's getting better and better and better and more spiritual, but the closer he comes to Christ, the more he will see his own imperfections and cry out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is the mark of a child of God. And Daniel had all the marks of a child of God. Verse 9, then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up for I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Now, I want you to notice 
that this person who talks to him and tells him to stand up is not Christ. This person is sent by Christ. This is important. The person who says to him, stand up, I have been sent to you. Nobody sends Christ. Christ does the sending. But the person here who was sent and says to the prophet, stand up, is none other than the angel Gabriel. The man who came down in Daniel 8 and who came down in Daniel 9, this is one of the mighty angels of God. And we will see this. Verse 12, then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. It tells me that God hears the prayers of his children. So he says, I have come in response to your prayers. I've come because all heaven is interested. But verse 13 says, But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Did you hear this? While Daniel was doing his praying, Daniel was not aware of it, but there was a battle going on. And the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood him 21 days. Who was the prince of the kingdom of Persia? No, it wasn't Cyrus. It was the power behind the throne. It wasn't Cyrus. It was the power behind the throne. It was an evil spirit, a demon. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The heathen, pagan nations of the world have appointed over them the great powers of darkness, personally appointed by Lucifer himself. This prince of Persia might even have been Lucifer. And Gabriel was sent down in response to the prayer of the saint. And when he came down... Daniel was praying for 21 days and there was a tremendous battle going on. And Gabriel came and he persevered and he fought with this evil angel who was trying to stop the building of the temple. And he said, I persevered for 21 days and he could not even Gabriel the mighty angel that stands in the presence of God could not win the victory. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, the Hebrew says, not one of the chief princes, but the chief of the princes, the leader of the princes, then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Michael comes to, to turn the battle in favor of the saints of the Most High. I tell you again, the Hebrew doesn't say one of the chief princes. It says the first of the chief princes. Prince 
Michael, he is called, comes to join the battle against the evil angels. Now listen as I tell you some things. Sometimes, foolishly, we wonder why there is opposition to the preaching of the gospel. You know why? <laughs> and there's a struggle to preach the gospel. You know why? You read this chapter. This is why. Most of you know of the battle we were engaged in in Kiev. It's been the biggest battle of my life. Uh, we've discovered that we didn't turn away 25,000 at the opening. We've seen the photographs now. We turned away at the opening between 50,000 and 100,000 people. We've seen the photos. I did not see the crowds being turned away, but I've seen the photos, and the people go as far as you can see. The whole town square was packed shoulder to shoulder, and the streets were filled. We turned away 100,000 people. And when this happened, Lucifer became enraged, and he said, we're going to stop this. And that is why, after I'd been preaching only for seven days, the Kiev government, from the minister of religion, Mr. Kuchuk, sent down a motor car with an ambassador and gave it to the director of the Palace of Sport and said, stop the meetings. <laughs> that is why I got on the telephone, called Beverly, and alerted the staff, and I said, get the people to fast and pray. And the people of this church, glory be to God, responded and prayed and fasted. And across North America, people heard the trouble we are in, and they fasted and they prayed. And Gary Williams got together his prayer group, and they fasted and they prayed. And the people on 3ABN heard the news, and they fasted and they prayed, and God sent down Gabriel. <laughs> I can tell you why. They said, you cannot run the meetings without having the police. The police have to come. And we had to hire them, of course, same as in America. If you put on a program, if you want the police, you've got to pay for them to come. And so we were hiring the police, and they said, you cannot legally continue the meetings unless you have the police here patrolling. And we said, we will continue to hire the police. But they said, we will tell the police they're not allowed to come. And so when our contract ran out after one week, Pastor Polinsky and my Ukrainian brothers went to the police, and they said, we want to hire you for the rest of the meetings. They said, we would like to. But the minister of religion in the Kiev government has said, we are forbidden to work for you. We didn't know what to do. The brethren came to me and they said, we have no police. And if we have no police, they're going to close us down. So we got on our knees and we prayed. And the people of God back here prayed. And Pastor Polinsky, before the meeting was due to start, when the government was going to send down and close us down, he went out into the streets and found some policemen who were off duty and said, would you please come and work for us tonight? And they said, yes, we'll come. And they came. And when the government came down that night to close us down because they felt they had a legal case, there we had policemen standing at the doors. Who moved upon the hearts of the policemen? 
the angels, the angels, the angels came down and they helped. Hmm. And then those policemen were forbidden to come back and uh, Pastor Polinsky went out and he found a Ukrainian major in the police, a, a, a major. And he told him the circumstances and the man at the risk of life and limb and job said, I will come for the sake of the people of Ukraine. And he brought his police officers. I went up to him. I thanked him in the name of God. This man who was an atheist, an unbeliever, he said, I have come. I will stand by you. Who moved on his heart? Who moved on his heart? Come on, what's wrong with you? Who moved on his heart? Who moved on his heart? The angels of God moved on his heart. Then there was the director of the Palace of Sport, an old ex-communist, old atheist. The mayor of Kiev, a man of great influence, called him up and said, I'm directing you as the mayor of the city. Close down the meetings. These people are lawbreakers. Close down the meetings. He said, what laws are they breaking? He said, they're breaking the laws of our country. They're teaching religion. The director, the old atheist said, these people are not breaking the laws of Ukraine, but you are breaking the laws of Ukraine. I will not close down the meetings. Was he bribed? No. Did we talk to him? No. What made this man, one man, stand between us and failure? I think the angels were there. Mm -hmm. Don't you believe this? Then there came the time for the baptism. <laughs> and the brethren went and said, we want 35 or 40 big, huge buses. You know what they said? Are you planning a revolution? Only time you get a lot of buses like that is when you're going to have a revolution. Well, I'm all for revolutions, but spiritual revolutions. And so when the government heard that we were hiring 35 huge, big, double buses, they sent a message to the bus company, and they said, no buses to the Adventists. No buses. And if they have no buses, then no baptism. And so the brethren went round all the bus companies in Kiev, and the companies said, niet, 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 no, no, no. And so on Friday afternoon, no buses. But the people of God prayed. And God sent down another squadron. Mm -hmm. And the brethren found 35 buses out in these little towns miles from Kiev and without the knowledge or the permission of the government they came and we got the people to the site. Baptized in that day 2,817 precious souls, the largest baptism in the history of the ex-Soviet Union. Glory be to God. Why did it happen? Why did it happen? I am not a novice in these things. God is on his throne. And he is surrounded by angels all around. Mm -hmm. Glory be to God. As I stood with Beverly and our little team on the banks of the mighty radioactive Dnieper River, and it is, it's got radioactivity in it, 
As I stood on that bank, you just finding out, Helen, you wondered why you had such a healthy glow. When I, when I stood on the bank of that river, wondering whether the buses would make it, wondering whether somebody would cut the wires to the PA system, wondering whether we would go off the air. I felt the presence of angels as I saw those great big Russian lumbering double buses coming and disgorging thousands of people. I said to myself, glory be to God. Above the river he was enthroned in all his glory, high and lifted up. This chapter also tells us about freedom of will. Did you know that not even Michael can compel the conscience of Cyrus the Great? Gabriel was there for three weeks working overtime. Then Michael came down. But they cannot compel the conscience of the weakest or the greatest person in the world. God has given us freedom of choice. But God can bring to bear upon the human soul all the forces of divine love. And in the end, Cyrus said, yes, yes, yes. Now please notice verse 14 of Daniel 10. Daniel 10 verse 14. Now... I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Now this is important. Let me give you a little theology. Uh, some commentators have tried to make Daniel 11, that we'll talk about next week, simply a political thing. They say uh, this concerns political powers in the last days. Daniel 11 and Daniel 12 were not given to talk about politics. They were given to tell us what's going to happen to the people of God in the last days. When we study Daniel 11 and the king of the north at Jerusalem, it's not talking about literal Jerusalem. It's not talking about a literal king of the north. It's talking about the Antichrist as he comes against the people of God. Listen to me. I'm going to say something very plain to you. This Bible that I've got here today, and the Bible you've got, is not a book that's about races. It's about the children of God. The purpose of these prophecies is to tell us what's going to happen to God's people in the last days. God's people are not one color or one race. God has got people in every country, in every church, in every society, and in every nation. The purpose of this book is to tell us what's going to happen to God's people in the last days. Listen to this. The Bible says if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I'm going to talk about now, I've thought about how I would say this, and I'm not sure how it's going to come out, but I'm going to say it. Here in Los Angeles, we're going to see a mighty, ungodly outburst of racism. Racism is growing in the United States of America 
it is growing in Los Angeles. I want to tell you, racism is no part of the kingdom of God. It belongs to the devil. You hear what I'm saying? And if you look at a person through the glasses of racism, then you should question whether you're a child of God. You hear what I'm saying to you today? Some people said to me recently, what is the racial makeup of your church? I said, I do not know because I do not see them in color. You hear this? Now, now, many people see other people in color. I'm going to tell you this now. This is where it's going to be hot. Ready? Since I've lived in this country, I have met white men who are racists. Mm -hmm. I have met black men who are racists. I have met yellow men who are racist. I have met brown men who are racist. People say, no, racism only belongs to one group. It belongs to one group, we're right. The human race. The human race. And I'm saying to you today, whether you are white or yellow or brown or black or something in between, when you become a child of God, you leave your racism and that garbage at the foot of the cross. You hear that? You leave it at the foot of the cross. And we're going to see in this country a tremendous amount of racism hatred between whites and blacks and Filipinos and uh, Latinos and Koreans it is because they are no part of the kingdom of God but when you're a child of God you see in every soul who's come to Christ a child of God mm -hmm. I'm opposed to racism in every form. Whether it is white racism, black racism, brown racism, yellow racism, red racism, let it go to the devil. So this book, think that's strong? I'm just holding back. This book is given to teach us what will befall God's people in the last days. And if you are still talking the language of a racist, I command you today in the name of the Lord, leave the garbage of your racism at the foot of the cross where all men are equal. Mm -hmm. So this book is given to teach us what will befall God's people in the last days? And I have discovered that God has got his people in Russia and Ukraine and in Africa and in the Philippines and in Australia and in North America and in Canada and in Mexico. And I could go on because I've been to all of those places and there I've met God's children. Mm -hmm. Verse 14, now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns the time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face towards the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips. 
I opened my mouth and began to speak. Here is Gabriel, the great angel who gave the vision in Daniel 9. I said to the one standing before me, I'm overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid. O oh, man highly esteemed, he said, peace, be strong, be strong. When he said, spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. Uh, listen to this. What gives a person strength? The presence of the Lord gives us strength. Thank God I'm not easily intimidated. But I want to tell you something. It is the strength of the Lord. It is the presence of the Lord that gives me strength. People asked me when I was taken by myself to the government office, not allowed to have anybody come with me, stand with me, and interrogated and threatened by those old communists, was I afraid? I can tell you, for the glory of God, I was unafraid. As those old communists, and that's who they were, started to threaten me and tried to intimidate me, I felt inside a holy fire burning. Mm -hmm. Yes, why? Because of the presence of God. I felt the presence of God. I felt that God was with me. I could sense that God was with me. And I say to the glory of God, <laughs> when I was through with them, one man said, I have been in the Department of Foreign Affairs for 16 years interrogating people. We've never met a foreigner like you. Hmm? He said, we feel as though we have been dragged before an inter international tribunal of justice. They said, they had. They had. You know why? Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. His angels were there. When they were threatening me and giving me a hard time, I felt the brush of angels' wings. I felt that God was in this place. I could feel his presence, and his presence gave me peace and gave me strength. I tell you something. Listen to this. You don't need to be worried about people. You don't need to be worried about animated mud on the way to dust. Do you? What is man? Why should I be afraid of man? Man is simply animated mud on the way to dust. But our, my God is enthroned above the waters. He stands above the flooding Tigris River and he says, Peace be to you. Be strong, be strong, be strong. I say to you, whatever your circumstances are today and how bad things are looking, look up. Peace be to you. Be strong, be strong. We need not fear the wrath of men. There are angels all around us. Be strong. And be careful how you treat a child of God because God is with him. In verse 20 and 21, so he said, do you know why I've come to you? This is Gabriel talking. 
Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, that's Satan, or one of his assistants. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. Mm. Uh, these verses have confounded some theologians, and they wonder who is Michael the prince. Let me briefly give you a summary of the identity of Michael the prince. Look at Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, please. Michael the prince, the word Michael means he who is like God. At that time, Daniel 12 verse 1, at that time, Michael the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Here Michael is called the great prince who protects your people. Whom does it sound like to, do, to you? The one who stands, who protects the people of God and who is the first of the chief princes. Would you please come now to John chapter 5 and verse 27 and 28, dear hearts and gentle people. John chapter 5 and verse 27 and 28 in the New Testament. Gospel according to St. John. This book is regarded by many scholars as the finest and the greatest book ever written in the history of the world. John 5, 27, 28. Jesus speaks, he says, he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Whose voice are they going to hear in the resurrection? Come on, please, let's... The dead are going to hear the voice of the Son of God. Now come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, and we're putting some texts together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of who? The archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Whose voice do they hear in First Thessalonians chapter 4? Come on, what does the text say? It says the voice of the archangel. Is that true? And that is the voice of who? Therefore, Jesus is the archangel. You say, is Jesus an angel? No, no, no. No, no, no. Jesus is not a created being. He is God. But Jesus is the leader of the angels. Just like uh, an archbishop is the leader of the bishops. So Jesus is the leader of the angelic hosts. He is the archangel. Now, I want you to notice another text. I want you to come down to the book of Jude, please. This is one book before the great book of Revelation. And I believe it is verse it is verse 9. Now it tells us who the archangel is. It tells us who the archangel. But even the archangel who? Michael. When he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. We're told it was, listen carefully, 
Michael, the archangel who raised Moses from the dead. We're told that when Jesus raises the dead, they'll hear the voice of the Son of God. And we're told in 1 Thessalonians, they will hear the voice of the archangel. And if you put those texts together, it becomes apparent that Michael is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is the one who stands for the defense and the deliverance of the people of God. He is our Lord. He is not an angel, but the leader of the angelic hosts. And he stands to protect and deliver the people of God. Listen to this. Listen to this. I'm going to pull it together. What does this mean to us today? It means this, that he will send, if necessary, every angel in heaven, rather than let me be overcome by the hosts of darkness. Can I get an amen out of you? He will send. What about you, Sister Helen? You got an amen coming on? I'll give you another opportunity. The Bible says he will send, Michael will send every angel in heaven to my defense rather than allow me to be overcome by the powers of darkness. Can you say amen? amen. Somebody said in Russian, praise God. I have, I have been aware of the presence of angels. I have been in dangerous positions. I've been marched at gunpoint only a few years ago, not long ago, down a deserted jungle track in Africa with a gun in my back, surrounded by soldiers. I've had those experiences. As the sun went down, and I was marched down that track, surrounded by Soldiers of the Zimbabwe army with machine guns all around me. With this man who was shouting curses at me who was a racist because of the color of my skin, saying, we will get rid of you and you'll never come back here again. And as the sun went down, I thought, well, who knows? But God is on his throne. And as the man turned around and drove back to the television station where I refused to disgrace the name of Christ on television and would not be party to their politics. As the man turned around in his Persia and drove away, as the sun went down, those black men came with their guns and surrounded me tight and started to hug me and said, Pastor Carter, we come to all your meetings. <laughs> We come to all your meetings. I felt the sense of angels all around. When I preached in the Philippines one night, went down there to preach on the Antichrist and couldn't even get in the street where the building was. I love that, folks. Mm, that's great. When you can't get to your own meetings because they've got traffic jams, that's glory. Mm. So they took me to another street and brought me in the back way and there was the militia standing with machine guns standing all around the hall because they didn't know what was going to happen that night. And before I went out to preach, I said to Beverly, you know I've written out my will and you know it's at the division office, but there are angels all around. 
I walked out on that stage that night in the Filipino International Convention Center, packed to the doors, 10,000 people standing outside trying to break down the doors. I enjoy a crowd that breaks down doors. That's really a double glory. Mm -hmm. Because it shows that God is working. Shows us some that God is working. Some people in this country are so spiritually dumb that they say, oh, those things don't happen. It doesn't happen to them. That's true. <laughs> but it happens where God is working, folks. All they see is dust and commotion, but we see the Lord high and lifted up. As I walked out on that stage, the place was packed. The guys were there. The Marcus family was sitting down the front. And uh, the president wasn't there. He had a skin condition, but his son was there, and his bodyguards and generals and admirals. I walked out and spoke in Daniel chapter 7, put it up on the blackboard, and there was a holy hush. And then as I preached on, the place was filled with priests and officers of the government, and I felt I was in the presence of God. And when I finished the meeting, which was covered with a holy hush, something amazing happened. People expected there'd be a riot, but everybody stood to their feet and started to clap and say, thank God, thank God. 